welcome to the 10th episode of the Building Spiritual Capacity Podcast, where we're building immovable disciples through prayer, study, and action. Just wanted to remind us again and elaborate on the purpose here of, the, of this program we've started. Our goal here is to build people who are followers of God, who uh, understand who God is, understand how God works with His people, and understands how He communicates with us. And then once we get that communication, we can then act on that, those instructions that God has given us to bless our lives and to bless the lives of others. Those are the two great commandments, to love God and to love our neighbors. And the more we know God, the better we can do His will. So we, we come to know God through purposeful prayer, asking God to help guide us as we study. Intense study, which allows us to really understand who God is and how He works with us, how He communicates to us. And then once we get those communications, because we will, you'll get the inspiration when you're studying, when you're praying, you'll see God will communicate with you through His Holy Spirit give you ideas, give you feelings, give you suggestions in His own way to behave and to act in certain, in certain fashions. Uh, and then as we do that, we will uh, we'll draw closer to Him and we'll bless the lives of, of others. In this 10th episode, we're going to focus on the army value of respect. And specifically, we're going to look at how Queen Esther displayed this value in her experiences uh, in the court of Ahasuerus or Xerxes, however, uh, however you want to refer to him, depending on, on the, the name you're using, uh, depending on the language or the culture you're, you're in. But she's interacting with him, and her interactions with him, she displays a respect for her father, for her people, uh, and for her God, as well as to the king. We'll also see how respect here can be negative, or, you know, at times, who do we need to, who do we need to show respect to more? And so she, she deals with this, she tries to cope with this, uh, and her counterparts as well. It's a very interesting uh, story here about respect. Really, the entire book of Esther is, but we're going to focus on a few chapters, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5. And these will help us to, to inform us on how she displayed this value of respect. Our points to ponder for this episode and for these passages of Scripture is how did Esther walk that fine line between the respect for God and her family and her king, and in what ways was she challenged and what ways was she blessed? Well, let's look at who Queen Esther was. She was a woman from the kingdom of Judah, and at this time, the Persians reigned in the region. They conquered the Assyrians, or the Babylonians, they, uh, who the Babylonians had already conquered Jerusalem and brought uh, into their community and into their region, they brought uh, into their culture, they brought Jews and people from all sorts of different, uh, different societies and cultures. 
And that's what the Persians did as well. So they had people from all different backgrounds uh, to include some from the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Israel. And Esther was one of these, uh, one of these political refugees, if you will, uh, along with her, uh, her adopted parents. Her adopted father was named Mordecai. Mordecai was basically her, her cousin. It says that, uh, that Esther was the daughter of Mordecai's uncle. So Mordecai takes her in and uh, raises her. Uh, and then at a certain point, there's some uh, consternation in the kingdom. Um, one of the queens d- displays, actually, we talk about respect. She displays a, a sign of disrespect that was concerning to the, the male leaders at the time. And this is an interesting dynamic. I was reading an article about it earlier today. And it's an interesting dynamic when we look at it in today's day and age where there's more, more equality. We're still working on that in various communities but uh, between the genders. But in this case, uh, one of the queens refused to come see the king, and he got upset with her. Uh, he basically banished her. And, uh, and so they needed a new queen. They invited women from all sorts of backgrounds to come into the king's uh, household, and uh, then he was going to choose one of them. Long story short, he chooses Esther. Uh, she pleased the king, and, and she ends up in the, in the king's court, in the king's house. As part of this, Mordecai, who is the one who brought her in, he's also part of uh, people that hang around in the, in the court if you will. Uh, so this comes into play a little bit later as we talk about the whole situation. But Esther is, the, is selected as one of, the, one of the queens, if you will, uh, here. So she's brought before the, the king and she becomes the queen. But uh, Mordecai specifically asked her to not reveal where she's from. She is from the kingdom of Judah, but at first he ask her not to do that. Now, uh, again, this is, so this is a, at a point here where uh, Esther decides to honor her, her father. Um, she uh, does not reveal to the king initially that she's from the tribe of, of Judah or where she comes from. Uh, Mordecai is obviously attuned to, as part of his kind of position here in the court, he's attuned to the, uh, to the, maybe some of the political dynamics and perhaps some discrimination that may come to the people of Israel. And so he doesn't want to draw any attention to that. So he asked her, okay, now you're the queen. Don't, don't say anything right now. So here she honors God. I wanted to, I wanted to, excuse me, she honors her father, which is also honoring God. So keep in mind, one of Moses' top 10, as I like to say, is honor thy father and mother. And although he was an adopted father, if you will, he was still her father. And so, uh, more, uh, excuse me, so Esther, uh, as a good daughter who obeys the laws of God, and uh, she honored her, and excuse me, she respected, I should say, we're using that word honor and respect somewhat interchangeably today, uh, honor being a different army value, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of use them interchangeably here. She respected Mordecai's wishes, which was in accordance with respecting God's laws as well. Uh, so she does not reveal who she is and where 
what her background is at this time. We're going to take a little detour from Esther here to talk a little bit more background with a couple other key players here in the story. One is Mordecai. Mordecai obviously is Esther's father. He discovers a plan to assassinate the king. So they've got a couple of people that are interested in assassinating the king. Mordecai hears about it and he, uh, he lets everybody know. Uh, and it turns out, you know, his, his information is accurate and everything goes uh, well. They, they prevent the assassination of the, of the king. However, they kind of they kind of forget about who's who told them, right? They, they forget about who uncovered the plan, and so they kind of just kind of go on about the business. Mordecai doesn't necessarily make a huge deal of it about it, you know, trying to get credit or anything like that, and they just kind of forget it. Now they they took his name down, they wrote it down that he he was the one who did it, but um, nothing really came of it other than uh, other than hey we stopped this plan. So that was good. We also are introduced to another gentleman named Haman. Haman was one of the chief governors of the land, one of the chief leaders. He had, he had been promoted to a certain point where he was essentially at the right hand of the king. He was an important advisor, a consultant, a leader, and the king highly respected uh, Haman and, and gave him a, a high position. This high position, uh, according to the customs of the, of the time in, in the Persian kingdom, the Persian empire, the custom was that if a person of that high enough rank, people would pay respect to them. And in particular, they would bow down before them. So as they would walk through, they would bow down. I, probably like in the military community, we have certain people that are saluted, right? And, and this, was, this was the salute, if you will, to show the customs and courtesies to this person because of his position. So they would they would bow down to him. Well, here the thing is, is that Mordecai would not do it. Mordecai, uh, and, and the Old Testament really doesn't give us the reason why, but, we, but if we, as students of the Bible, we can probably understand that one of the very first commandments is not to have any other gods before me. So again, I love Moses' top 10. Uh, one of those top 10 is thou shalt not have any other gods before me, and you shall not make any engraven images either, and to worship those idols. So here we see Mordecai, and I imagine that's where Mordecai is coming from. For me to bow down before, uh, for him to bow down before Haman, it would be as if he's putting Haman in. Uh, this position of being a, a god, and, and and maybe there is an expectation of kind of a a worship almost of these individuals. So Mordecai refused to do that. He um, was a faithful follower of the law of Moses, and he refused to bow down. Now this creates some frustration from Haman, and here I wanted to address this idea of this this respect, right? Uh, certainly in the military. I wouldn't be able to go to my commander and, and as we, I see him walking uh, at our base back home, I see him walking around and, and not saluting him. He would ask me a question like, what's, what's the deal, chaplain? Uh, what, what's going on here? Uh, why didn't you salute? Uh, or someone would yell at me for not saluting the, the commander. 
that and that would be seen as a sign of disrespect. Uh, it probably wouldn't go so well if I were to say, uh, "Well, God, you know, I don't, I don't salute anybody except for God." So you can understand where Haman's coming from a little bit. Like, you know, this is the society, this is the culture, and he feels disrespected by Mordecai, and this continues to happen to the point where. Uh, the Persians kind of felt this idea that if one person is doing it, that'll give other people the courage to do it. That will um, create some rebellion uh, with these people from the kingdom of, of Judah, these Israelites, because if they hear about this guy Mordecai who would not bow down to this very important leader, then who's to say uh, this won't be encouraged by, uh, this behavior won't be encouraged by other members of the community, and then lead to rebellion and insurrection. So, Haman comes up with an idea. Now, you know, we, we oftentimes will feel disrespected. And I think that perhaps if, I, I don't know that Mordecai was really trying to instigate rebellion. Uh, he just had a reverence for God and re refused perhaps to bow down because this is not what you do for a man. You don't bow down to a man, you bow down only to God. I wonder if Haman had had a little more humility and if he had gone to Mordecai and said, hey man, what, what's going on here? Uh, perhaps there would have been a discussion. It still may not have gone well, but at least there would have been some discussion about, okay, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you behaving this way? And uh, that would have at least enlightened him. And Mordecai at least could have said, well, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to start a rebellion. I'm just, this is my belief. Again, it probably wouldn't have gone so well. Haman didn't even bother doing that because he was so prideful. But I wonder if we want to think about that in our relationships, um, whether that's at work with coworkers. Uh, I, I often think mostly of, uh, here about in our marriages, perhaps those of us that are, have relationships, uh, you know, we have these experiences and we feel disrespected. And instead of kind of going to the person and saying, hey, listen, you know, like I, I kind of feel disrespected, we get mad, we get angry, we get frustrated, we have a fight about it, uh, or maybe we just want to leave the relationship because of this, this uh, perceived disrespect. But I've often found, especially when I do counseling and when I think about my own life, my own marriage, that when we can sit and talk about what's going on, then we, can, we get to the bottom of the issue and we can f have better empathy for the person. Okay, why, why did you behave that way? Normally you wouldn't behave that way, um, you know, but but here you behaved in a way that I felt was disrespectful. What what's going on? I think that'll help us understand our partners or the people that we work with, whoever it is, and will help us to smooth those things over. It also gives us an opportunity to display some more humility ourselves and to show that respect both in both directions. Instead of responding with "You're disrespecting me, so I'm going to disrespect you," perhaps we can shift that and go back to the golden rule which we talked about a few weeks ago and show greater respect to each other. Uh, but Haman doesn't do that, and it actually just kind of escalates. So because Haman is fearful that this behavior by Mordecai, uh, not only is this disrespectful to him, but he kind of builds it up and escalates it to a point where it's probably not accurate. And again, we do that in relationships too. We get disrespected, and then we, we start going down a, a, a path where we're like, well, if they can't respect me in this, then what about this and what about that? And that's, this is not appropriate. And, and so then it, well, we, we do what's called catastrophizing. We make the worst out of it and maybe even and usually worse than it actually is. So 
this is a challenge that we that we run into uh, in our own personal lives, and and this is what Haman is experiencing here. Uh, instead of trying to reconcile and figure out what's going on, he decides to retaliate, and he makes it even worse uh, because again, one guy, especially in that time frame, is there's no social media, there's no uh, instant communication that the word would spread so quickly that one guy was not bowing down to Haman uh, would spread to the whole empire and cause an insurrection. I don't know how likely that is, but Haman was concerned about it. He goes to the king and he tells the king, we need to kill everybody that comes from this particular culture. The, the people from Judah, the people from Israel, these are the people, we just need to get rid of them because they're going to cause problems for us all over uh, our empire. And that's where we we kind of come back again to Esther at this moment because this law has been written, a decree has been given that the Jews will be killed and, and he appoints a certain day that if anybody has any problem with them, they can go ahead and kill the Jews in the empire. And, uh, and this is where we find Esther again and her opportunity to show respect to her people and to her God, to her father uh, in the face of pretty serious consequences. And now we're going to see how Queen Esther comes to the rescue. The law has been written. She apparently is not aware of it. So Mordecai gives a message to uh, somebody to give to Esther. And they have this conversation about how this law is going to go out here. And uh, he encourages her to go before the king to save her people. Well, there's a problem. The, the problem is that in this culture, in the Persian culture, there was an, uh, apparently a law that said if that you were to go to the court with, to see the king without having, been, uh, without having been invited, then you were breaching protocol. And the penalty for breaching this protocol in such a manner would be to be killed. Uh, there's pretty, pretty serious consequences. And so here Queen Esther faces a real, you know, as is always, it seems always to happen in the Old Testament. The story is told in such a matter-of-fact way that we don't really get the emotions or the, the gravity of the situation sometimes because within 10, 12 verses, you go from a whole society is going to be killed to, uh, to them being saved, essentially. Um, we don't see the, the real conflict. We don't hear about what Esther really was going through. It, perhaps there was a little hesitation. I, I don't want to uh, degrade her in any fashion. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe she just was ready to go. But Mordecai, at least in the verses, Mordecai is seen encouraging her, at least. Uh, we see... In verse 13, she says, he says, think of all of our people. Think of God's people. Uh, and you're up here and you're living the, the high life, if you will. You're, you're in the king. You're one of the queens. I'm sure she's having a great life. And, and compared to other people around her who are less fortunate. And these people are going to be wiped out. No one knows that she's a, she's a Jew because she didn't uh, reveal that. So she's not one on the chopping block, so to speak. Um, and he just reminds her, hey, how would you feel? How would you feel if you were in this position but uh, and 
you didn't do anything. And, and then all these people were killed. Uh, so it's not just don't think about yourself, think about them, not just your own safety. Um, if you remain silent, then he said there may be, the, you know, Mordecai is fascinating because in, in these verses, he says, you know, if you remain silent, well, God is still going to find a way to, to save his people because he's covenanted, covenanted with them that they would be his people and that he would continue to, to care for them. But you not having wanting to participate in it, it's not going to be good for you or your family. Again, a very fascinating point I think that we could delve into for quite a while. We won't here because it's just not uh, enough time. But how, how is that in our life? You know, God has a plan. He has a purpose for everybody in this world. Now, depending on your uh, your background, and I'm not uh, trying to say one way or the other. I just know from my background, I believe that there's an element of free will and that God can use us, but he still needs to get his job done. And if we're not willing to participate in that, he still needs to get it done. And so I think there's an element there where God, he's going to find somebody else if he, if he can't. And that's, and that's not going to go well for you and maybe even for your family, as, he, uh, as Mordecai explains to Esther. So here Esther is, and she takes what Mordecai has to say, and then he adds to this, he says, perhaps, perhaps this is the reason that you were put into this position. Perhaps you were brought here by God so that you can, you can save the people of Israel. He says, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? That's in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. So Esther is convinced, and uh, I don't imagine it was took much to convince her, but she realizes the gravity of the situation and what she has to do. But she understands the law, and that if she just, she hasn't been called to the king's court in about 30 days, so she doesn't know if he's going to call her or when he's going to call her. And this is kind of an urgent matter here. This is an urgent matter. The, the date is set and it's coming up soon when this extermination order will be, will be implemented. So Esther has to decide quickly and she, you know, she doesn't know if she can wait until, uh, until the king calls her. So she asks uh, Mordecai to spread the word for everyone in the kingdom that are uh, of, the, of the house of Israel to fast for her so uh, it's to fast with her, excuse me, and for her. So for three days, they're all fasting uh, and in a unified manner. Uh, that must have been kind of a cool experience for everybody there. And then she goes, and, and in fact, she goes to the king's court. And just to, let's just sit there for a second, just, just for a second in, in this tension. Here she is facing death by going into the king's court, facing death. And yet she takes a step in there. Uh, this, again, in my mind, shows not only personal courage, we could, we could all add all sorts of army values here uh, for, for Esther, Queen Esther, because she had the personal courage, she had the faith in God, she had the respect to honor her, uh, her father, to honor the people that she represented and to honor uh, the uh, to honor God, and she's showing respect to all of these people. In that sense, I suppose what we could say, well, she violated the protocol. That was maybe a disrespectful act, but she goes forward, 
she steps into the court. Everybody notices that she's there. The king uh, sees her, and then there's that moment of, of tension uh, where we don't know what's going to happen. Fortunately, the Old Testament kind of uh, quickly t- resolves that for us. And the king holds out his golden scepter, which was the sign that she is accepted into the court and that she'll be allowed to speak. Uh, What a relief. And then the king tells her, whatever you want, you can can have anything you want. The king is pleased with Esther, and, and he says, you can have anything you want, up to half the king. Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you. Uh, so, uh, what again, what c- courage uh, to show that respect for God, for her people, for her father, and to face the king, to get an audience with the king at the penalty of death. Uh, what more could you ask of somebody in this situation? I think she would have made a great, uh, a great soldier. So let's see if we can resolve this story pretty quickly. There's a few interesting things that happen, uh, which kind of show us the how God can bless us as we show respect to Him. So the king asked Esther, "What would you like me to do?" She said, "Well, why don't we have dinner and at that time, uh, and we could talk about it." So she, they have a dinner with the king with Haman, and then uh, at, during the dinner. Uh, they also, they agree to have another dinner. And so there's two dinners involved here. Um, I don't know why they couldn't cover it in the first dinner exactly, but uh, they have two dinners. Uh, before the second dinner, though, the king can't sleep, and so he goes in to uh, read some of the history books, so to speak. People have been taking down some of the events of what's been going on in the, in the kingdom. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, I, uh, I'm a history major, so I can definitely attest to the fact that if you can't sleep, go ahead and pick up a history book, and you'll probably fall asleep pretty quickly. But uh, in this case, uh, he wants to read through kind of the ledgers of what's happened, and he, he remembers, hey, what happened? Remember, some people wanted to kill me. Did we ever reward the guy, and, and who was that guy that needed to be rewarded? Well, they tell him, oh, it was Mordecai. And he said, all right, great. Uh, let me Let me... Let me talk to a couple people. Let's see what we need to do for this guy. Let's see how we can reward him. So Haman comes up and he says, hey, uh, and the king says to Haman, Haman, what would you do to honor somebody who has done such great work for this kingdom and has performed such a, a great service to this kingdom? And Haman thinks he's talking about himself. Uh, he, think, he thinks the king is talking about Haman. He says, He's like, well, I would do this and this and this, and I would treat him like he is the king himself. I would give him the ring, and I would let him ride on my horses, and I would let him wear my clothes. If I was the king, that's what I would do, because Haman thinks this is what the king wants to do for him. doesn't realize that it's his mortal enemy, Mordecai. So, so here it is. Uh, the king says, great idea. How about this? Why don't you do that for Mordecai? This is the guy I want to be honored in such a way. So again, I bet Haman feels pretty disrespected. However, he gets the opportunity to go to this dinner, and, and the dinner is just going to be only the king and Mordecai, or excuse me, the king, Haman, and, uh, and Esther. So Haman is, is excited that he's being honored, that the queen wants him to come and participate in this dinner. Well, uh, 
they go to the dinner. Um, Queen Esther reveals herself as a person from the kingdom of Judah. She identifies the fact that, that there was a law decreed and all of her people are going to be killed and they haven't done anything to deserve it. The king says, well, well who would come up with that? Who, who convinced me, I guess, to... Uh, to uh, whose idea was this, basically? She's, she tells him it was Haman. The king uh, gets angry uh, and upset and frustrated, and he orders that Haman uh, be detained. But then uh, he, the king goes out um, to talk to some people, and when he does, Haman goes over to Esther's bed, and he like throws himself by Esther, and Esther... Uh, and, and when the king comes back in, he thinks that the, that Haman's trying to assault her. Uh, when Haman apparently was trying to requ request her forgiveness, or to request her inter uh, that she would intervene in the punishment that he's about to receive, uh, but the king takes it a different way, and actually Haman uh, ends up ends up dead. So here we see kind of the resolution of the story. Queen Esther is now respected. She offered respect to God and to her people, to her father. And then she is respected now. And every year, even to this day, the people in the Jewish community uh, in Judaism will celebrate uh, what's called Purim, which is the, the celebration of when the children of Israel were saved because of the, um, the courage of Esther. <music> Our immediate action for this week was to reach out to the mothers in our lives and express to them how much we respect them and we love them for all of the things that they've done for us. As I record this, of course, the next week is Mother's Day, so this is a perfect time to do this. So I would encourage you to reach out to your mothers, uh, whether that's your, your birth mother, your stepmother, your, the mother of your children, or a friend's mother, or all the above whoever it might be, and let them know how much you appreciate them. Just as Esther showed respect for her father, Mordecai, we can do the same to the mothers in our lives this week. And make sure you tell people about it. Uh, have that You have those accountability partners as you set these goals to complete these actions. Let them know how you're doing uh, completing these tasks. In our next episode, we're also going to focus on a mother, a mother who displayed selfless service. Selfless service being, of course, another one of the army values. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a widow in the midst of a very uh, difficult crisis who uh, is asked by one of God's servants to provide service. And she does that, and God blesses her for her efforts. So again, 1 Kings chapter 17, the points to ponder are in the midst of famine, how did this widow respond to Elijah's request? And then how did God bless her? The action for the week then is to find one person every day. Could be the same person, could be a different person, but to find somebody that you can provide service to every day this week. Uh, I know that as you do, you will be blessed and look forward to having you here next time. Uh, and so then until next time, remember to trust God and do his will. Mm -hmm.